It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Why did Tom Thibodeau get fired? Who will they replace him with? Could Luke Walton be the next coach to go? The only question left is, say it with me, you in? Hey, sports fans, Coach Nick here, and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast. Today, I'm honored to have John Krasinski on the show. He covered the Timberwolves for 15 years for the Associated Press and The Athletic Now, and he broke the story of Tom Thibodeau getting fired. So, John, thanks for coming on the show, and let's, let's talk about what happened today. Thanks for having me, Nick. I appreciate it. It's uh, kind of a wild day, that's for sure. Yeah. I mean, not that you have to give up your sources, but, like, like can you give us an insight into how this like, kind of, you know, how you found out about it? Yeah, well, I can, I can tell you that, um, you know, everyone's kind of known that Tom has been on the hot seat for a while. I mean, certainly the, uh, the Jimmy Butler fiasco uh, was really something that, put him right at, you know right in the crosshairs if you will he's he's kind of been an intense isolationist type of personality which hasn't made himself a lot of friends around here and that that doesn't help things and and so um there was sort of a a start to be a growing feeling that it, with the team sitting in 11th 12th place in the west things were starting to ramp up a little bit. And now that said for it to happen after a 22 point win over the Lakers on the Sunday, I think it came to a surprise to a lot of people, uh, to all of the players in the locker room, certainly to Tom Thibodeau himself, to several others. And what happened was is that it, it kind of in dismissing him after two straight wins, one against Orlando on Friday and then one against the Lakers on Sunday is, it, it, it sends a message that this was about more than just wins and losses that, uh, that they, that the organization felt like the direction of the franchise was not going in the right way, that, um, the collaboration between the business side and the basketball operations side wasn't where it needed to be. And that you know, there was some underperformance by the team and losses to the Hawks and the Pistons and the Suns um, and the Pelicans without Anthony Davis and, and things like that. And so this was basically um, and uh, something that owner Glenn Taylor said, look, it's, you know, it's getting later in the season. If we're going to try and salvage something, if we're going to try and make the playoffs still, we got to try and, 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 and shake something up. And so now Tom Thibodeau is, is uh, out on the street and Ryan Saunders, the son of Flip Saunders is taking over on an interim basis for the rest of the year. Well, do you think it's safe to say that the decision was made to fire him way before today? 
Yeah, I think absolutely. Um, you know, certainly the wheels were in motion before today. I mean, you know, this, you, a lot of times we'll see coaches fired after a bad loss. Well, yeah. this was a very good win for the Timberwolves. I mean, the Lakers aren't very good without LeBron James and they also didn't have Rajon Rondo or Kyle, Kyle Kuzma, but uh, the Wolves just handled the Lakers and, and it, there, it was never a game. They played very well. And so um, to pull the trigger right after a game like that, right after two straight wins uh, at home tells you that this has been in the works for a while, that, that um, there have been some heads that have been budding, that there have been some larger concerns about fan apathy, about being able to sell tickets, about being able to develop players, about a lot of things that led them to this point. And so they just felt like, okay, um, let's do it now. And in doing it now, it tells everyone that um, it's not just, you know, it's not just about a win or a loss that, that, that sealed Tom Thibodeau's fate. It's about things much larger than that. Do you think that there's a ratio here between the off court stuff, like you mentioned, as far as, you know, season tickets being renewed and all and the business side versus the X's and O's and on the court, actual coaching stuff. Is there, is it 50, 50? Do you think it was more the coaching and less the business or what do you think that that where it lives? Yeah, you know, I, I I don't know how to exactly break it down and slice the pie, but um, I say I would say it all goes together. Um, you know, it wasn't that you know Tibbs was a really bad coach, so we're firing him, or it wasn't just that man he's kind of difficult to deal with um, behind the scenes and with business and marketing, so we're firing him for that. It was a combination of all of it. I I mean, I think. Some players were very frustrated with the lack of communication. Um, you know, he made some decisions that, you know, in a in a marketplace like Minnesota with all four major sports pro sports teams, and the Timberwolves having long been sort of a a you know a, a team that's been down on its luck and hasn't won a lot. Uh, they've had to do other things to try and get the fans to come to games. They've had to bend over backward in marketing. They've had to have meet and greets with players and coaches. They've had to have functions to connect with the community. And a lot of those stopped under Tom Thibodeau. He wanted the focus just on basketball. And, and so that was a point of consternation. I mean, there, you know, there were just a lot of things that, that, that led into this and, you know, a lot of them were things that you complaints that you heard about in Chicago about the way that he handled himself there. And so given president uh, powers as in addition to coach here, it just became even, I think more difficult to deal with him on the bigger picture. Well, let's unpack a couple things uh, before we go, as far as on the court and coaching, because obviously that's what I like to focus in on. Um, you know, it, it did definitely felt like playing time management was an issue at least from the from my perspective we'd seen it in chicago where he overplayed guys and i think it's fair to say that uh, he did the same thing here and also was might have been even been grading with his style of coaching to younger players are those two things true well yeah i, I mean i i do think that yes there was some frustration um among players particularly bench players about their lack of opportunities to play for him. He, Tom wants to win every single game. And so he plays his starters big minutes. And, um, and, and so I think guys like Gorgie Jang, Tyus Jones, Anthony Tolliver, last year, Nemanja Bielitsa, 
um, you know, guys like that, there was sort of a frustration with, Hey, look, you know, I know that I'm not playing at my best when I'm out there, but if I'm only playing for six, seven, eight, nine minutes, I can't get into a rhythm and, and play better. And so that was, um, something that I heard from players a lot, um, uh, over the last six months or eight months, uh, of Tom Thibodeau's tenure. And, and they just felt like they weren't being given a fair shake. And, you know, sometimes in Tom's defense, they weren't playing well when they were out there. And so he had to go back to his starters to try and rescue things. But I do think overall minutes management, um, and, and, and even more so communicating a plan to these players is key. You know, they, he didn't, uh, when players were not going to play or were only going to play short shifts, they only found out, you know, minutes before the game or while they were in the game, if he would have had more one-on-one direct, uh, communication with them about it, I think it would have gone over a little bit better, but he just didn't do that. And that cost him. So what's the future here? Is Ryan Saunders going to finish the year out as a coach? He is. That's the plan is for him to finish the season as the interim coach. He is going to be given an opportunity to win the permanent job. I mean, if the Wolves can sort of galvanize right now and, and play, uh, play well and, and make a push toward the playoffs, uh, I think Ryan Saunders does have a real chance to stay here over the long term. He's obviously got deep ties to this organization with his father, and he you know, was a ball boy for this team as a young kid, and, and he desperately wants to be the guy here and to, and to have a great impact and help turn this thing around. And so if he does it, Glenn Taylor would love to give him that job. Um, but uh, if it kind of just goes okay or things don't go well, they'll definitely open up the search at the end of the season and look at what uh, other options he has available to him. And are they going to make a move here for another player to try and shore up their playoff prospects? Well, I mean, they're in a tough spot from a trade standpoint. I mean, you know, they're not going to trade Carl Anthony Towns, obviously. Um, you look at um, Andrew Wiggins is probably untradeable with his contract. So is Gorgie Jang. Um, so they could maybe move Jeff Teague. They could maybe move Taj Gibson, um, uh, you know, guys who are, who, um, who have a little, or a little more veteran and, and can make impacts. But I, I think they're going to kind of go, at, go with this group for the next couple of weeks and see how they respond to Ryan Saunders and see if they kind of come out of the gates firing, um, if this really gets them going. And so I think a lot of those decisions on whether they buy or sell or whether they, they um, look to address other needs will probably be made a little bit closer to February in that February 8th trade deadline. Fantastic. Well, you know, thank you so much for coming on and congratulations on the scoop today. It was really exciting to see all what was going on and everyone was relying on you know, w- watching your Twitter feed to see the next uh, little tidbit of information. So uh, awesome stuff today. Really appreciate it, Nick. Thanks for having me. You got it. Thanks. We'll talk to you soon. Coach Thibodeau worked in a pretty stressful environment, as do all NBA coaches. And if you saw pictures of him in his late 20s, you'd have seen a full head of hair fashioned into a mullet. Unfortunately, most of that hair is gone, as is the case for 66% of men by age 35. But that doesn't have to happen to you. If you still have the hair up there, then you should do everything you can to keep it. And that's where Hims comes in, a one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, 
and sexual wellness for men. They have medical-grade solutions to treat hair loss and make it so easy you don't even have to sit in a waiting room. Just answer a few quick questions online, and they deliver their products right to your door. If you click on forhims.com slash Coach Nick right now, you'll receive a trial month of hymns for just $5 while supplies last. This would cost hundreds of dollars if you went to the doctor or a pharmacy. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash Coach Nick and see website for full details. Hey, sports fans, Coach Nick here and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown live show slash podcast slash first show with Jared Weiss live on Periscope. Thanks for joining us, everybody. and Thanks for, for being here, Jared. And shout out to the first question, which we got was who got fired. Maybe we should <laughs> talk about it. Okay. Yeah, well, certainly this is one of our first emergency pod of the of the season. Wait, wait. Somebody else got fired already, right? Did another coach did get I, fired? Did I get fired? No. I thought someone else got fired earlier this year. I'm losing my mind. Well, you ha- we had Ty Lu. Oh, Ty Lu. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So, but this is our yeah. This is our second emergency podcast for a coach firing. But this was a really out of left field as far as we could tell. They blow the Lakers out um, on a Sunday afternoon, and while Tibbs is in his office enjoying the win. They burst in there and fire him. So what's your well, first? I don't know if Tibbs has ever enjoyed a win before, but okay. Hey, the reporting, the, the reporting was he was smiling. Remember, he was trying to smile a lot more. <laughs> and I don't know if anyone was sold on that, if it was legit or not. But he was trying, you know. Uh, but nonetheless, they fired him. Uh, what is your first reaction to uh, what they did, what Glenn Taylor just did? No shit. Uh, it was, they had to fire him at some point after the Butler thing fell apart, after... Because the reason why they have to fire him for the Butler thing is not that Butler left, but more so that Butler told him he was going to leave at the beginning of the offseason, and they didn't they didn't try to trade him until the season actually started, and they completely screwed themselves in the market. I mean, they ended up with two good players, so it's not like mm-hmm. they completely blew it. And they managed to trade the guy instead of letting him walk, which somebody's going to screw up at some point with. But, yeah, I mean, he he showed that he shouldn't be running the team and that you have to strip him of the title and uh, of uh, president or director of basketball operations, and that probably wasn't going to work with him. Somehow they made it work with Doc in L.A. It didn't work with Budenholzer in Atlanta, uh, although it worked out pretty damn well for Budenholzer. Ended up getting what right now is probably the best job in the NBA, or he's doing the best job in the NBA. And frankly, to Doc's credit, Doc is making it work really well with the Clippers, probably because they put Lawrence Frank in as the new uh, head of the team who – is one of Doc's closest allies, so they're able to make it work. Uh, but Thibodeau is all I mean, Thibodeau's the kind of guy that always wears himself out with uh, the front office. Happened in Chicago. It wasn't like just because Garpax is a disaster in Chicago that that's the reason why it fell apart. Like Thibodeau's a huge part of it, and there were so many legitimate criticisms of Thibodeau. Uh, I'm saying Thibodeau. Thibodeau I'm trying to get you to say that's Thibodeau. To, to be fair, I, he was in Boston, and then he left Boston and changed to it. Kind of changed to Thibodeau. So I'm used to him as Thibodeau. Okay, fair enough. But, <laughs> As he got more popular. But, like, he, um, I, if he wanted to stay there forever and actually, like, see his entire contract out, he could have done things a lot differently, but he doesn't do it that way. Right. And so we, we knew this was going to happen at some point. It, I mean, I'm always in favor of firing the coach early. 
I, I never see what's the point of letting a lame duck coach sit there. You might as well put an interim coach because one, it can change the season. It could be that spark that changes things Two, It gives you a chance to see what do you have in house. And now they're trying out Ryan Saunders who Glenn Taylor said today, he hopes that Ryan coaches so well that he earns the job. So one, they're saying that they're going to wait until the off season, which we'll get to, we'll get to the Fred Hoiberg section of this live pod and we'll figure out what that means for Hoiberg. But the fact that he said that publicly is definitely very interesting. I think, you know, Taylor easily could have said, you know, uh, he's the interim coach. We think he's going to do great and we'll see how the process plays out. But to say we hope he coaches so well that he earns the spot, that's a it's a very different way to play that. For sure. Well, let's unpack a few things here because, you know, we know a lot of the familiar criticisms of Thibodeau, Tibbs, because I guess it's Tibbs or Thibodeau, whatever you want to choose. Um, and so obviously the playing time thing is an issue and, you know, he resurrected or somehow Derek Rose resurrected his career. He's shooting lights out from three. He's doing really well after all those injuries, but guess what? He's playing 38 minutes a night on a lot of these nights. And he, there's, if there's any player that you cannot do that with in the NBA now, it would be Derek Rose. And he struggled every time after that to deal with, um, you know, those playing with that much time. He was banged up. He'd miss games. He'd have a lot of trouble. So there's no question that the ownership is looking at that, too, with his history of Lou Aldang and Jimmy Butler and all these guys like that uh, and thinking, you know, he just doesn't get it. And if you can't win these games by playing them 34 minutes a game and developing other people to be able to give you a little bit extra out of that, then you shouldn't, you know, you're not a good enough team to win and be in the playoffs anyway. And I think that most people would argue that they are good enough, but I think that's a real big issue is that this playing time thing is not getting any better for him. Yeah. I mean, well, the thing is, this is kind of focusing more on the high level stuff rather than down on the court, but this team's goal from the owner top down is to make the playoffs and to get gate revenue and to build up excitement with their fan base. They're not, they're not a franchise that's trying to win a title. They're a franchise that's trying to establish themselves with their fans as the best product in town. And as a team that is perennially going to be fighting for the playoffs and is going to be must watch basketball throughout the year. And frankly, that's the reality for a lot of small market teams. And that's why it's really hard for small market teams to do big teardown rebuilds and to try to show great patience because they're more susceptible to the business side than some of the larger markets are where just the local TV deal takes care of the entire franchise right there. So, you know, that, that clearly I think is something that's been at play here with Thibodeau pretty much the entire time and especially now, but you know, Rose is a star that I think is still marketable locally. And I mean, his career has just been so bizarre where that obviously he was one of the biggest stars in the entire NBA was one of the biggest sports figures in the country and then fell off. And now he's coming back. People are calling it a redemption story, but he also has the, you know, the, the civil trial for sexual assault or rape that like, is this weird cloud that I don't think anybody really knows how to deal with it exactly. And I think it affects his perception online maybe, but I don't think it necessarily affects his perception with the actual like, ticket paying fans that are actually on the ground there so i don't think it really affects business too much but so the point is they have between him and cat they have two like really marketable stars and andrew wiggins who loves the fans as well and just (laughs) hasn't been good enough to really market himself so you know they they have i think they have just enough on-court talent that it can sell themselves so that the coach isn't necessarily part of the package that they're selling uh but 
if the team isn't playing an aesthetically pleasing style of basketball, if the team isn't consistent, and you know, I mean, Glenn Taylor literally said the reason why we lost this, the reason why the firing happened was because we lost to Phoenix, Cleveland, and Atlanta. Like he listed off the worst teams in the league and said, which is kind of a mess up thing for the owner to do. But like th- those are the reasons why they're losing. I mean, that uh, Thibodeau is getting fired more than anything. Right, and it's a shocking thing when you saw they are good enough to beat those teams in December. We saw uh, a direct quote on that one. That was a real big problem when they lost all of those, not just one or two or whatever. So, uh, you know, a big problem also, and I've heard this, you know, almost directly, was the style. He was a grinder. You could hear him on every broadcast bellowing out, oh, ice, 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 all ice. the time, and, and get out there and run. And he, he basically controlled so much of the, certainly on the defensive end, and I don't want to say control, but he was constantly grinding. So you have to imagine, even in the practices, uh, it wears on you, and you kind of tune it out. So what yeah. I'm seeing, and by the way, they were much better defensively after Jimmy Butler left. So if um oh you know what I have some some stats I'm going to call up in a second which uh, disappeared on me for a minute but the point being that uh, they they were a lot better which is interesting because obviously Jimmy Butler you think knows the system is a good defender and should do that but what they well, here's what I noticed in the 27 games since the trade which they started off number four and nine with Butler in the whole cloud. But um, since the trade, they're 10th in defensive rating overall and 11th in offensive rating. That's almost in title contention category territory. So this is interesting because they did well enough where you'd think their net rating was sixth in the West uh, over over those same games and the seventh most wins in the West. So um, I think that this is a a long-term issue they were dealing with where, you know, like I mentioned before with the, the, the minutes management, but also the fact that these young players are simply going to tune him out. And that's what I see on the defensive end. Even though they played better defensively, there's just still a lack of effort, I think, with Wiggins in a lack of uh, spatial awareness, which is really frustrating to watch from him. Um, and I think that that kind of bleeds. Tolliver was playing some minutes now because of injuries, and he is just a nightmare on defense. He's just behind every step of the way. So it caused so much issues. And what we did see out of that was being 30th in defensive field goal percentage against the three. And if you're going to get lit up from behind the arc like that, uh, it's really hard to win. And that's going to bite you in the butt like against teams like Atlanta that just wants to shoot a lot of threes and hope they get hot. And you know what's smart? Denying middle penetration, which stops open three-point shots. You know what else is smart? Starting the new year off strong by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash breakdown to hire the right people. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates for you. Its powerful matching technology scans thousands of resumes to identify people with the right skills, education, and experience, and actively invites them to apply to your job, so you get qualified candidates fast. That's why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. This rating comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot with over 1,000 reviews. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash breakdown. If you love this show, show your support to it and ZipRecruiter by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash B-R-E-A-K-D-O-W-N. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash breakdown. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Yeah, because, you know, they had that right after the Butler trade. Their defense was, like, top five, and their offense was really good, too. There was a period of time where they were, like, eighth in net rating, I think, from 
like kind of early-ish November until early December, but just using cleaning the glass since December 1st, they are 13th in net differential at plus two. They're 10th in offensive rating at 112 and then 17th in defensive rating at 110. So that, that defense was starting to slip. Um, and, you know, Covington is currently out and definitely with a, you know, with, with a, it a bone bruise in his heel, I think. Right. Uh, so right. that, that obviously okay. hurts. And he, yeah, it, it, something down there. So the point is, you know, Covington coming over, replacing Butler, that made that huge difference for their defense right away in that spark. But then it kind of wore off. And, you know, it was funny how you lead with Tibbs yelling ice because, one, that's a thing that we all that we all kind of, like, laugh at. But when you think about it from a technical perspective, Tibbs yelling ice is basically the coach not trusting the players to recognize what coverage they should be in on the pick and roll. And that's something that is usually with the bit like the center almost always is the one that's going to be calling out ice or maybe the point guard at the head of the snake there. But the guys on the floor are supposed to be the ones reading that and should be able to. And most of the good defenses in the league can do that. And I mean, I don't know how much of it is kind of just like Tibbs is always going to be that guy that's going to call out the coverage. But it told me that he didn't really have trust in his defensive personnel. And frankly, I mean, Cat for a long time has had a horrible defensive reputation and it's got better this year, but I still don't think it's at a point where it's like good enough for me to think that he can actually anchor the defense. And then, of course, he had Jeff Teague or Derek Rose at point who are both notoriously mediocre uh, defenders. Sure, and let's unpack that a little bit because I did a video last year showing how Cat uh, and Wiggins are the worst def- uh, pick-and-roll defensive duo in the league. And this year, it's not about Cat's um, effort. Because I feel like he is legitimately trying to be a better defender, but he is so behind the eight ball with his uh, biomechanics, the way he moves and the strength in his legs, which are very low, that he does he just simply won't be an effective defender that way. And I don't even care that he has almost two blocks a game because I go through and I was watching, they're, they're poorly rated on synergy uh, at defending the rim. And when you watch him, he is ineffective. I know he gets a block every now and then. And a lot of times it's because the guy who's guarding the, the penetrator is still like on the man. He's bubbling him, he's grinding, and he kind of flies in from the side and just blocks it out of bounds. So, but when they do get to the rim there, he's ineffective. He cannot stop those players. He doesn't move well laterally. He doesn't elevate very well. We saw, we see dunks on sometimes that are really good. The dude's arms are so long that he doesn't need to jump very high at all to, to dunk the ball. And that's what we see. And there's so much energy leakage there. He needs someone to work with him in the offseason and, and fix his body. And then he'll just naturally or magically improve defensively on that end. Uh, but the problem is, yeah, you throw all the other guys in there. Wiggins is a big culprit. Uh, that's probably what drove Jimmy Butler insane. And I think the part of the problem they had was when you have Butler and Tibbs going off on everybody, that's tough to have two jerks in the locker room and two guys who are like that. They got rid of one. Their cloud got lifted. But clearly, um, it, it wasn't enough. And, you know, like you said before, the pressure is on to make the playoffs and to build on what they did last year. Remember, Tibbs was, got them to the playoffs for the first time in, you know, 11 or 12 years or since 2004, yep. I think. That should have been a cause to celebrate. They should have, that should have bought him a year or two. But this is what happens when you coach like you're, you know, in 1994. Well, maybe they think maybe they're trying to win like it's 1994. They they should just, I think Tibbs, if he had his way, they would have just gone to the block with Cat 30 times a game and just post up the entire time and then let Wiggins go ISO. It seems like that's what this team was almost built for. Um, you know, the thing is like Cat puts up pretty great numbers and his numbers have been really terrific lately. And he seems like he's really hitting a stride and is attacking guys with ferocity and he's pulling off highlight dunks every single game, it seems like. But 
the way that he's utilized was so, especially in the playoffs last year, was so criticized where there were games where Cat wasn't making an impact. And then you go and you watch the tape and it's like he's spacing to the corner so much. He's being used. So it's not that, you know, like it's great to use him as a spacer to a degree, but when you space him in the weak side corner, he's literally out of the play unless you're running the play for that kick out or something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, and, and even from there, it's really hard for him to make a play. They didn't run enough pick and pop with him. I think he should be running a ton of pick and pop. He should. I mean, he likes to post up a lot because that's what he's been doing for his whole life. And post up is great and it's really useful. But he should be. He should be a pick and roll guy. Like that's what makes him so incredible. He's got. He's huge. He moves like a gazelle, and he's got soft hands, so he can catch. You know, he can catch anything that you throw at him, and he can pull up and shoot or pop and shoot from th- you know twenty five feet with ease. And I'm hoping that the next coach that they bring in there is more willing to keep cat on the move because he's he's kind of wasted when he's playing as a as a face up or back to the basket post guy because we've learned like there's still value for that and nowadays i think the value in posting up is more about posting up against a mismatch where it's so easy for you that you're willing to go into that slow and you know a non-efficient play style but that shouldn't be the cru- that shouldn't be the basis of your play style, for and sure. I think it seems like that too much for Cat. For sure. Now, uh, as you may or may not know, uh, I am actually uh, tangentially related to you now, Jared, because every week I do a video for the Athletic, and it's usually based in a lot of stats. It's a different, you know, to what I do on B Ball Breakdown on YouTube, and this week. I happen to be doing one. It's going to be released, I think, on Tuesday about usage rate, the top usage rate for each team and how they stack up on the cost of the 30 teams in the NBA. Carl Anthony Towns is all the way down at the bottom as far as he leads the team in usage rate, but it's like 25, 26%, which is something like 25th or 24th. So I found that really interesting because here's a guy who's hyped to the gills. He is really good, and yet his usage rate is way too low in comparison. It should be higher by a couple more points. He should be getting more shots. They should be, you know, and even if he just pick and roll, uh, they should be able to get him on the short roll, and now we put the ball on the ground, he can actually facilitate. I think he'd be good at that. Heck, I think he'd be okay at getting his, his, a ball screen himself a little bit. You know, let, let them attack a big guy and throw send a, send a ball screen for him at the elbow or maybe at the wing too and see what he can do. Um, those are the things that just were not like it was just not creative going on in their offense. And you have to imagine that maybe a younger guy who's like has nothing to lose uh, in Flip Saunders' kid, you know, maybe he'll throw some stuff in there and run it. But um, the other problem I think I have is certainly certainly with personnel is the Jeff Teague. Um, he's just really frustrating to watch, particularly on defense as well. Uh, I don't like his effort. I don't like his positioning. And um, it's been a problem for him his whole career. And they, he just simply wasn't picking it up or Tibbs wasn't communicating it well enough. And either way, that reflects poorly on the coach. And so another reason why, uh, you know, when they, they grind it out with him playing minutes, it's like that's going to be recipe for mediocrity. And that's what we saw. Yeah, I mean, I there's there's not much to say about Teague. He's just a he's a mediocre player in many ways. His effort has always been an issue his entire career. He's very sporadic on offense. The stuff he gives you on offense tends to be not very efficient anyway. Uh, but, you know, he's obviously talented and he seems to be a nice guy from all accounts. So I don't think his teammates dislike him or anything. He just, he's, they made a bad investment in him and to Rose's credit. I mean, Rose, I think gives you way more than what T gives you anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Tyus Jones is probably the best point guard they have on the roster, but they never use him. but I really right. like him every single time I watch him. Well, yeah, let's not, let's not ignore Rose because Rose is better, but you're right. Tyus Jones does 
is better defensively than those guys. And he's not good defensively. He's not physically, you know, going to be dominant. But at least he gets positionally okay. Not great, but okay from what I saw. Let's ask some questions here. We have some interesting ones here in the uh, Periscope. And I'll jump over to Twitter, too, and see what we have there. But here's an interesting question. Um, let's see. Sig D asks, are the Wolves tanking now? What do you think, Jared? Uh, no. They, so that gets into the, the thing I teased earlier, which is, what is the purpose of this firing? What is the purpose of the timing of this firing? And uh, credit to Shams uh, Trani at The Athletic, part of the family, that um, he had a video that he did for, I guess, for Stadium, where he talked about that a source mentioned to him that the timing of this firing is in line with when season ticket renewals are coming due. Mm-hmm. In that biz, the, you know, the business side has had a lot of issues with tip, uh, with tips. God, I can't do it. What is wrong with me? Tonight? Tibbs. It's Tibbs or Thibodeau. I'm going with Tibbs. I don't know why I'm trying to call him by his full name. So Tom, our friend Thomas here, he uh, one of the major issues that he had with the franchise, and this was probably a problem for him in Chicago as well, is that he's one of these hardcore basketball guys that hates having to do meet and greet events, hates having to do press stuff, doesn't want to be involved with all the different, you know, all, a lot of the stuff that happens on the marketing side. And a lot of GMs and other front office people I've talked to over the years have told me that a lot of the coaches that have gotten fired in the past, a lot of the time it has to do with the fact that, you know, that the, the president of the business side, the president of the franchise is trying to get them to do different events for season ticket holders for different, you know, different types of high roller groups, you know, not like, you know, going to the hospital to visit sick kids, which like any, I think any reasonable person can get behind, but like some of the stuff where it's basically, you're just kind of, rubbing elbows with other rich people in town so that they'll keep buying luxury boxes and basically paying your salary, which is certainly part of it. And guys like Thibodeau hate it. Tibbs, Tibbs hated it. And he wouldn't, he wouldn't play ball apparently, which I actually have heard before anyway. And a big part of it was like, they just, they want a coach in there that they can market to people as, as, as a bright smile and someone that they can, get behind this, you know, to get to go visit the luxury box people and actually sell them and to get the fans just interested and have some sort of gravitas with the public. Cause you know, Tibbs doesn't really have any gravitas. He, I mean, I was just in a Tibbs presser like two or three days ago and I don't know if he even looked up from the floor the entire time. Wow. And, yeah. yeah. And this was, this was pregame. This was like, before, it was like before they actually lost the game, which it was, it was a pretty decent game. Right. Team showed up, but like, you know, it, like this was pregame Tibbs, who just didn't want to deal with the media. And he's a, you know, he's a nice guy, and he answers the questions well, and he's friendly and everything like that. But it's just like for him, he's, you know, he'd rather be screaming ice at a chalkboard or something. Right. Like that. And by the way, I've sat down with him, and we've gotten into real depth about basketball stuff, and he and he loves that. Amazing. Right? Yeah. And but that's all like off the record. We're just sort of you know chatting about how you know how to get pick and rolls out of horns. Like that was great. He loves that. But yeah. But again, I could I always observe that in those scrums where he just it just seemed really difficult for him to try yeah, to to put on a face and do it. So um, we have NTFW underscore O five asks of Robert Covington and Sharich good fits. And I think that's a really simple que- uh, answer is yes, they both were yeah, really good fits. I think that taking away a, a Butler and replacing him with these guys who are a lot nicer and actually prof- and, and they're also professionals and they play really hard. We saw it. They took off right after that happened. They were playing really well for a little while there. So, uh, yeah, I think, that, I think they're, they're really great fits. And in fact, we should give uh, Tibbs or whoever else is part of the front office credit 
for, to get those guys in return for Butler versus anything else uh, that they would have not gotten if he walked away or any other kind of trade. I think that's about as good as you're going to get. Yeah, what I liked about that was that it hedges their, you know, what there should be their priority and what actually is their priority pretty well, and that those guys are young enough that they have another full contract's worth of prime ahead of them so they can be a part of your future, but they're also good enough and playoff experience enough now that they help you get to the playoffs. And yeah, they're they're really good complementary pieces to a team that has an elite wing scorer, which unfortunately Andrew Wiggins has not been, and then another elite all around scorer, which Towns is you know still finding his way towards. But obviously the numbers show that he is. So I like those guys in a high tempo, uh, you know, pick and roll based offense where they're spreading the floor. They're also running off screen actions. They're both really good catch and shoot guys. Covington is pretty limited with his versatility on offense, but Sharich is a very versatile offensive player that can play pretty much anywhere on the floor and then obviously Covington is the best defender on that on that roster and Sharge I think has done a good job as a four or even a three defender over the course of his career so I like what they got there I would have rather I, I would have rather they just you know kind of clear house and build around towns and gotten draft picks but you know if you're going to get veterans I think those were two perfect guys to acquire for sure, for sure. So that now I just have to move Teague, and I don't think he's going to be worth that much. But Jason Sklar asks, are, is there still time to find a piece before the trade deadline? And, you know, I think there obviously is time because the trade deadline is not until February, so we have time. But what do you think? Uh, is it, they going to be able to make a move now with a new front office? I, they have to. They have to make some sort of personnel change here, right? Also, shout out if that's Jason Sklar's and the comedian Jason Sklar, one of my favorites. But yeah. they they have so many players that they can move, frankly. Like there's whether it's they're tagging on some sort of protected first round pick with a decent player that they have to try to get somebody else. Um, you know, I mean they have an extra point guard and Phoenix is desperate for a point guard and Phoenix has a plethora of wings. If I'm if I'm Minnesota, I'm calling up Phoenix and I'm seeing if James Jones is willing to cut loose one of those talented wings that they have that can do many things on ball scoring wise and actually provide some scoring versatility versatility and dangle one of my point guards. I don't know. I don't, I have no idea which one of the point guards they would want, but maybe they would be interested in one of them at least. Right. But uh, I don't think anyone's yeah. going to take on Jeff Teague. He's making so much, he's making so much money. There's no upside to him. He's already at like kind of the tail end of his prime anyway. So it's either Rose or Jones and Jones is the guy they should be keeping. Okay, fair enough. But although I still don't think that Jones is the starting point guard on a playoff team, but you know, he, you know, he's he, he, here's what's interesting. He's a poor man's Fred Van Vliet. <laughs> Can we say that? Ooh, I like that. I like you know, because uh, Fred Van Vliet is so good, and you know, could probably be starting on a lot of teams, but certainly, uh, you know, uh, Tyus Jones. And by the way, Tyus Jones is a semi friend of the breakdown. He's been on the show. Great kid, really smart. Um, you know, I, I just don't know physically if he's got the uh, the ability to really make a huge impact, but he's solid, and a coach would always would like to have him on a team. So I hear you. Uh, and, but- and to be clear, Tyus is shooting like below forty percent this year. So I, I'm for me, it's I'm just really still believing in his potential, mm-hmm. and I think he's young enough that there's still a ton of untapped potential there. I mean, I'm checking his age right now. I think he's twenty two still. Yeah, he's still twenty two. Right. So he's just still so young that I think there's so much more room for him to grow. Right. Fair enough. Now, uh, someone mentioned uh, in the chat about how, you know, they could have kept Dunn, they could have kept Levine, have Lowry Markinen, um out of all that, right? With the, When they traded, well, they, traded they traded for a superstar who was amazing. I mean, that's yeah. uh, whatever. I, yeah. I'm not going to. Yeah, that was a good that was a fair trade. And right. Th- and it wasn't like they could have had Zach Levine, like they could have paid Zach Levine 20 million dollars a year, which 
I mean, Zach was going nuts scoring the ball, but it's like it's still up in the air whether that's a good contract. Probably is if he stays healthy, but they weren't really looking to commit to him. So that was a big part of that trade. Fair and not enough. to mention, they picked Justin Patton, who isn't playing with the 16th pick. They still managed to get back that 16th pick. There were other guys available there that they could have taken. So they could have done better executing on that rather than just the trade being a bad idea. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, should we do? I have a question on Twitter. It's interesting. Should we go veer off of Tibbs and talk about some other stuff? Okay. Um, and then I guess Woj has been tweeting maybe while we've been broadcasting about Chauncey and Fred. Uh, maybe Chauncey in the front office and Fred on the bench. Yeah. So. Chauncey's an interesting one because he's one of these guys that doesn't really have any front office experience except for that. I think he did like a fellowship type thing after he retired. Uh, but he's been he's been a target for a lot of teams. I mean, there's been there's Cleveland was rumored with him. Um, was Detroit rumored with him also? So like he's he's clearly a target. I think a big question is whether he wants it and whether he's really ready for it. Putting him at the top of the I would not put someone without any management experience at the top of the food chain, even if Chauncey probably will make a great executive at some point. It's just that he doesn't have any experience doing it yet. There's so much to it. Player management, cap knowledge, for instance, which is a big part that I feel like I've heard some hints before that when I think it was when Cleveland was was looking into him, that a big part of it was they needed to bring in someone that had an actual uh, that basically someone that had all the qualifications of a real GM of having a scouting network base and knowledge, having the CBA knowledge, that kind of stuff. Because Chauncey, I can't imagine he's been scouting full time on the side, but like I can't imagine he knows both pro personnel and prospect personnel well enough to really be qualified to be a GM at this point. Right. Uh, but obviously he can learn on the job. But the the Hoiberg thing is what's so interesting about this. And there's a lot of speculation that the timing of this is also connected to the fact that Fred Hoiberg has been one of the most prominent candidates for the UCLA coaching job. I've heard from a few places that he is interested in it. There's been mixed reporting today about maybe not necessarily that he's interested in it. And I think Sam Ficini, uh went really in detail on it. Another athletic brethren of ours on the, on his podcast, but apparently he prefers another NBA coaching job, according to some of the main reports today, but also would take an NBA front office opportunity because don't forget Hoiberg was assistant GM under Glenn Taylor a while back in the previous uh, group there. And then of course now flips on her son as the coach. So, you know, he obviously had a good relationship or assumedly had a good relationship with flip uh, when flip was there. So the question would be, where does Fred fit into that equation? And I can't imagine they would have him be coach and assistant GM with Chauncey as the full GM, or even if it was the other way around for those two, with Chauncey being the assistant GM. Like, that doesn't really make any sense. They've, we've learned our lesson. This should be the last thing we get to at the end, is that you should not have someone who's the coach be in charge of player personnel decisions. They should not be the director of basketball operations. And Hoiberg, after what just happened in Chicago, it's like, can't can't imagine... He's not coming. He's not coming off of a win. Like he's coming off of a, a experience where it doesn't seem like anybody else is really trying to hire him. So making that drastic of a move just would seem pretty unwise. I agree, and I think you're right that the death of that after Doc and and um, 
Boonholzer, and now we have Tibbs uh, as the last guy. I think uh, is it's it's too much to do. And they, by the way, these GMs all have their their quants who know all the CBA backwards and forwards. So it's not like they need to master that or have it be completely clear in their minds. So Chauncey, that's not a thing. Like he would bring somebody in with him, or they'd hire somebody else to be that guy for him. So I'm not that worried. Um, but then again, we've already seen what happened to an ex-player who becomes a front office guy or a GM without any experience. And Vlade uh, did not go over so well in the very beginning. He's actually done not too badly, but it's still been a bit of a random he's, hodgepodge. He's turning that one somehow. But yeah. yeah. He's doing, they're doing better, and the draft has been really good to them, uh, but primarily because they've been so bad, they got those high picks. But uh, certainly, they're you know they got you know uh, swindled a, a couple times there on amateur mistakes. Um, let's jump over to some other questions here. And if you have any questions over in the Periscope or on Twitter, I'm kind of going back and forth. It's easier on Periscope, but whatever. Uh, we have Shane Ellard asks: Is Siakam the MIP of this year? And um, I, I think he certainly has to be in the running at, at the very top. I, I know there's somebody else that I'm thinking that's out there that's doing really well that we haven't thought about. But what do you think, Jared? He, he's my pick because one of the things I hate about that award is that it tends to award players that were expected. Like, like it keeps going to like top picks who were expected to be great that make the leap that we're expecting in the second or third year. Siakam someone that's really came out of nowhere and really reinvented his game too. And he's not following the projection that we thought could be laid out for him before the year. You know, I think Giannis got it a while ago, and Giannis was a unique case where he could, like it became kind of apparent early he could be a potential superstar, and he kind of steadily fulfilled that potential. But he was still like a little bit later. He was what thirteenth or no fifteenth in the draft? I forget, but um, I think he was fifteenth. You know, Siakam, who was also a first round pick, he just he's not even close to the player that he was last year. He's just so, he's so drastically different. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what makes him really fit the bill for me. And then of course, just the quality of his play has clearly been deserving of it. Yeah. His ability to catch a re- or grab a rebound and push the ball off a dribble has been like a revelation like this guy and he can push the ball fast. So he's now making decisions. He's not always making great decisions on the on the run like that, but he is finishing well. He can actually kick out a little bit and facilitate. Uh, he's been shooting threes. I'm kind of quickly checking because I know it was uh, about average or higher. Let's see here. It was he's at 36 percent on 2.2 per game, which is a huge increase over last year. And I know it's the big uh, focus he had all all during the offseason. So it's good to see him focus on that, work on it, and we're now seeing the results of that. And I knew going into the season after that work that a lot of them are going to be wide open because they're not going to guard him thinking that he's a 22 percent shooter like he was last year that might change as they start to get another step and a half closer to him on these catches but still it's a great start and uh you know he's got he's 15 points uh, uh six and a half rebounds 2.8 assists in 30 about 31 minutes a game so really just impressive stuff so i i would definitely vote for him if i had a choice yeah and then you know i think fox is probably going to get it and it's oh, just really? a- yeah, because I mean the numbers he's putting up, he's he's basically running Sacramento. While Siakam's been really vital, he's not the guy running that offense necessarily because it's you know Kawhi and Lowry and you know Fox. I think probably would get it because he is more responsible to, for the success of Sacramento than Siakam is as far as like share of his role there. And the numbers I think are better than what Siakam's putting up. He's you know borderline twenty point score uh, and. He's just so electric and exciting, but I think they kind of both really fit that bill. But then, but it goes back to what I was saying before. I personally wouldn't prefer to vote for him because he was the fifth pick in the draft last year mm-hmm. and we expected him to be a player of this caliber. The big difference being that he came into the draft as an, as of what 15 foot was his max range. 
And now he comes around picking rolls and he launches for three really consistently. So he definitely looks like he's going to be an incredible player. He's going to be a, you know, second, at least second all NBA player as like his ceiling, maybe even higher. But the Siakam just, he fits the purpose of that award for me so much more. Also, Buddy Heald, another decent nominee. Yeah. And I've always been, I've been waiting for Buddy patiently to, to figure it out. Uh, we have a question from Kevin Folly who asks, what do you make of the Wizards without Wall? And I, I kind of missed the news. I guess it wasn't that long ago, but he got hurt. He's basically had surgery on his Achilles, and he's out uh, six to eight months. So that's a blow to the Wizards, who were not going to probably go anywhere anyway this year, even though they had pretty high hopes to start the season. So I don't know what we make of them. I mean, maybe they'll be better just because maybe Beal gets to be the man uh, once and for all on this extent, and, and we can see you know something good happen out of that. What do you think, Jared? They're, they're a better team, I think, without John Wall because I think they can actually really run a good system mm-hmm. with, with you know, around Beal. I think Beal has really taken that step. And, I mean, they're, they're I think, 18th in net rating since wall got hurt and i don't i don't remember i guess that's since like december 15th so maybe a little bit before that time but before that i think they were much lower i mean they've been they were a total train wreck a dumpster fire before that mm-hmm. and it's amazing that scott brooks still has his job not that i think he should get fired but just that they were such a disaster and he holds on to the job all all these other teams that just like they just have kind of weird reasons why they're getting rid of their coaches those guys are still surviving but so he um he, you know he, John is just, he's an incredibly talented player with a really difficult personality that uh, is just not worked with his teammates. I mean, like the guys that he really needed to work with have all loathed him. Gortat loathed him. He and Beal don't seem to get along well. And Beal is kind of looking, it seems like Beal is ready to go start somewhere new. Uh, you know, it, like the wall's never been able to really make it work with any of his teammates and I don't know him behind the scenes, obviously, but he I've just heard so many different stories about just how he rubs people the wrong way and people are constantly frustrated with him. And then as a player, it's like he's he's one of the best dry, you know, like attacking the rim and transition point guards that we've had in the, you know, in the last like 10 to 15 years. But his perimeter game has just been really erratic. And he's so high. He's, he's kind of kind of like Russell, Russell Westbrook light. You know, yeah. it's like a he's like the free version of Russell Westbrook as opposed to the paid full version app, you know, and he gives you all the positives and negatives. He's not quite as insane, uh, but he's not quite as remarkably potent. But you're kind of riding and dying based on whether or not he's able to hit some of the bad shots that he takes at the end of games. And I've seen him have some like pretty remarkable performances. And I'll never forget game six, two years ago in the Eastern Conference semifinals. I was there when he hit that unbelievable game winner from the right elbow in Washington. And he was just like, he was playing like Michael Jordan that night. And it was just insane to watch him go. And those are the highs that he can reach. But there's a reason why Washington has, as he is starting to hit his peak and as Bradley Beal has gone from a really good player to now kind of like crossing into that superstar threshold, they haven't gotten better. They've gotten worse. Yeah. And he's kind of the clear centerpiece of that. Absolutely. Well, you know, let's wrap this up with uh, some Lakers centric stuff. I tweeted out earlier where I said, geez, imagine how Luke Walton must feel right now. He just got beat badly on the road by 20 points and the coach that beat him got fired. (laughs) And so (laughs) I have to imagine that, you know, after the Knicks loss, 
that's got to be a real big negative check because everyone seemed to freak out about that. And also and all the stuff that came out when they were going to fire him and gave him like an eight game, you know, audition or whatever that was called interim, whatever magic had for him. Uh, and then they actually did OK. They, they don't have LeBron for a little while. They're going to struggle. They don't have Rondo. They don't have Kuzma. It's like, I'm not really sure what you expect for three starters out like that. Um, and so, but the, the bottom line is, I wonder if, uh, if Luke is long for his job. And then we can fold that into the Bradley Beal connection. Like, is there any way people are asking right now, the Lakers trade for him? Is that, I guess that we have some sort of the KCP alchemy going on, which I just don't know why he would have any kind of value. But um, what do you think about that thing? That's, I just laid out for you. Well, it's funny that there were so many critics that said that the Lakers have barely qualified for the playoffs before the season started. And then if that actually does happen and they end up being the team that people thought they were, why would it be reasonable to fire Luke Walton then if they're basically the team that was, they were projected to be? Mm-hmm. I think that when LeBron's healthy, I mean, they were really good for a while. And I think I had them like up at like seven in my power rankings, which shows my power rankings must be terrible but point is is that they were really they were really good when lebron was clicking and everybody was healthy and lonzo was really in a groove and like you know they they have they have lonzo who is such a difficult player to fit into a team but is like he's just so unbelievably talented and he's so impactful in the game in so many ways but he just doesn't shoot consistently. And so you have a point guard who can do like almost everything for you, except that he can't really help you spread the floor successfully. And they have like so many guys there that just like do a lot of stuff really well, but they just don't do that one thing that you need them to do at the level that you need them to do it for them to be an elite team. It's because they're all so young. They're all on their rookie contracts for God's sakes. Mm -hmm. So firing a young coach who's kind of in the same situation, he's kind of on his rookie contract who clearly has a potential to grow is someone for one who has a long-standing relationship with your with LeBron, who is it it has been one of the hardest things that GMs have had to do in my lifetime is find a coach that works with LeBron James. Mm-hmm. It's been almost impossible to pull off. And you have a coach that certainly seems to work well with LeBron James, and frankly, is doesn't seem to have that clash, at least yet, where there's kind of a butting of heads of who has a real authority there. It seems like it works between them probably because Luke recognizes that LeBron has the authority there. And he was used to that because he you know, was next to LeBron in his playing career and he, rec- he sees how it works. So he knows he literally played with LeBron. He knows what it's like to be LeBron's teammate more than literally pretty much anyone else, literally more than any other coaching candidate. You got to ride it out with him. Sure. LeBron's there for a long time. You got to let these guys grow. And the Lakers have, this is what the Lakers do. The Lakers are going to Lakers. They're going to be short-sighted. They hired, they hired Magic to be to run the franchise, and Magic is known for my generation who came after he retired for being known as the worst commentator on TV <laughs> in the history of commentators. But we have not seen Magic give good analysis. So for people like me, who I mean, obviously I've watched a ton of Magic, and I think he's one of the probably seven best players in NBA history, best point guard of all time. But like, I have this weird thing where for me, I kind of recognize him as a guy that just says like the Lakers are playing basketball with a basketball. Like that's basically what his commentary was. So for me, I'm like, from my perspective, I'm like, what is he selling on the actual basketball side that shows to me that he's going to make the right decision and that he's going to be prudent and recognizing talent. Obviously that's what they have Palinka there for, but people in LA still complain about the fact that their, their front office is disjointed, that their analytics team is mostly just for show 
and isn't really being utilized, isn't really impactful in their decision-making, which explains why they signed Beasley and they signed all these other guys. Like They signed all these centers when they had Brooke Lopez, who right now is one of the most valuable centers in the entire NBA mm-hmm. and is probably going to be in the three-point contest, for God's sakes. And they have instead they have all these shooters who can't space the floor and floor spacing is their biggest issue. So my biggest concern is going to be the front office's decision making rather than the actual coaching they have on the floor there. It's a growth situation. It was acknowledged as a growth situation coming into it. People tend to forget halfway through the season that this is what your initial objectives were and that this is what it looks like. It doesn't look pretty. You're not going to win 60 games and go to the finals because that's not what you're projecting. But they have LeBron. They're not healthy. That team can turn it around, and they can be a finals team pretty much whenever they want to be. Okay, no, that's not true. This team could be a fourth seed, I think, and win a, the first round. I think so that's a their, threat their to ceiling. be a finals team. But like, uh, this year, gonna, like this better year, better than the gold seed. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I think what they would what would happen is they, they get the fourth seed, they win that first round, they lose the Warriors in the second round, having to play yeah. them. Or actually, the Warriors, we don't know if they're number one uh, by the end of the year. But um, either way. If they if they're lower than like fifth, that that's when uh, Walton should be really concerned this year. I feel like if they have a slide and if LeBron doesn't come back uh, quickly enough from this injury to the groin, then then he'll be under some serious fire, and it won't be fair, and they shouldn't do it. But I just I just have this premonition or just something. We already he already was almost fired, as far as we could tell. You know, Magic had to give him an ultimatum, you know, and whatever uh, earlier this that year. Was and so what's that? But it was stupid. It was and also, stupid, they're two still. and a half games back of the four seeds. So it's like it's very much a play for them. Right. So we don't know what's going to happen over the next like six weeks. But if they get into like March and they're sliding to that A spot or whatever and they're not, and they're not turning it around, I would be worried if I were uh, with Walton. Uh, but that said, they might just wait till the end of the year. And I, certainly if they don't make the playoffs, then forget about it. That's not happening. But that's not going to happen with LeBron. That's not, I'm not worried about that. I'm just looking at that depending on where they finish. If it's eighth, like I don't think he's going to make it. But we'll see. Um, well, either way, great live show. First live show of the season uh, so far uh, and really great questions and comments. And a lot of people were in here. So uh, fantastic way to get a podcast done. If you missed part of this, want to hear the whole thing, you can tune in uh, tomorrow, uh, first thing in the morning. And I might even have another extra special guest uh, co- who covers the uh, Timberwolves. He was a, a few more minutes of extra footage or uh, commentary on that. So, Jared, thanks for coming in here and doing this with us. And um, I hope that we can do this again. All right. Let's do it soon. Okay, and don't forget to check out at The Athletic my weekly video series. It'll be a cool, really cool one. It'll touch upon Cat in Minnesota and other people who have low usage rates that lead the team. Interesting, really, probably the best video I've done so far. I've done about six or seven so far this season. So don't miss that. And that means going over to The Athletic and subscribing there. And you can get to read Jared's stuff too, right, Jared? That's right. I got something cooking that Nick is going to enjoy very much. Okay, that would be me. I can tell you. Okay. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you soon, Jared. And don't forget, sports fans, at Beatball Breakdown, we're not a channel, we're a conversation. You in? Are you in, Jared? Oh, I'm out.